starting a new series called Q&A, um, answering the questions. Um, and the thing that you have to be aware of is that we live in a time, in a period, where everything is being questioned. Everything is being questioned. We actually live in a time, and we'll be talking about this in a little bit, that that it's a common held belief by many people that there is no absolute truth. So we, of people of faith, we have to have answers for those that are questioning. We send our kids away to college, pay twenty, forty, sixty thousand dollars a year for them to be indoctrinated in atheism. And they come home at Thanksgiving and they have a list of questions for you that was given them by the professors. And most Christians don't have the answers. Although I believe that the Word of God is powerful, I also believe that many times when we say, well, the Bible says immediately, the lights go out, a shutter comes down, the heart tightens and becomes even more callous because of people's experiences with Christians. And I'm not saying that the word you could still speak the word of God, but but maybe not add the Bible says. Just say this say say something from the word of God that is sharp and powerful is able to transform a person's heart. There's questions. And the first question we're going to jump into, we're going to ask, we're going to try to attempt to answer in the next uh, three hours, no. is how can anybody know for sure that God exists? I mean, that's a big question. This is a question that everyone at one point in their life had had to answer, and the question, you know, is it is it true what people say that there is no evidence of God? That there is no evidence of God. It's just blind faith. Is our faith blind? No. But they think that there's no evidence for God because after all, you can't see Him, right? You can't put Him in a laboratory and run tests on Him to see what He's like and who He is, can you? So how can we know? When they ask this question, how can we know that God exists? How do, how do we answer? I was watching a doc series on um, the late 1950s, early 60s, the race for space. Right? And anybody that doesn't believe that we landed on the moon, you're nuts. But the race for space, and I was watching, watching this, and as probably most of you guys know, um, the... Godless Russian commies, they beat us to outer space. Right? You guys remember remember this? Some of you in high school? You know, this happened 62 years ago. So this was before I was around. And there was a Russian cosmonaut, Yuri Gagargan. Gagarin? Sure. And he made history when he became the first man to fly into space or be shot 
into space. Gagurgan, is it Gagurgan? Gagurgan. Gagarin, he spent 108 minutes in the tiny Vostok, Vostok 1 space capsule. And he, and he completed one orbit around the Earth, and that happened on April 12, 1961. All right. When he returned to Earth, the Soviet propaganda machine said that Yuri, when he was in the heavens, he didn't see God up there. What's interesting about this, this quote that they say that Yuri said, no one ever heard him say it. He never said it in public. He never said it in interviews. It was the Soviet government that said that he said it. What's interesting about Yuri is that he actually attended the R Russian Orthodox Church and was baptized in that church. But you think about it, what, what a foolish statement to make. What a foolish statement that is. We think it's, we think it's catchy, it's profound, it, you know, but it's actually a foolish statement. Did they really expect when they got to outer space that God would be there waiting for them? That He's just up in space waiting for us to finally get there. That God somehow is inside the universe. That God is even part of the universe. You might know this. But Christians were actually considered atheists when the church was first becoming formed. Because as the church was being established, they didn't believe in Zeus. They didn't believe in Athena, or Ra, or Moloch, or Thor. And they were considered atheists. Today, modern atheists they, they say, say, yeah, Christians, you're an atheist. You don't believe in all those gods. I just take it one step further and I get rid of the God of the Bible. Here's the big mistakes that the Soviet commies and atheists make. They're equating created things, created beings, mythological things, that were created through human thought and minds, things that are inside the universe, created things that are different, those are different than Elohim, who is spaceless, timeless, immaterial, and who creates all things. You have to understand that. Our concept of God is not, it, it cannot be understood through, through what is crea created. He is out and apart from creation. He is the creator. So in other words, the creator God is not inside the universe. He transcends the universe. So when 
created humans go off into space and, he does, and they don't see God up there, they shouldn't be surprised because that's not where God is. God's not up there because He's not a physical being as we understand physical beings. Going to outer space and expecting to see God up there makes as much sense as buying a Tesla, the S model, dual engine, dual motor, I guess, not engine, right? And getting it home and getting all excited and going back to the trunk and opening it up and expecting Elon Musk to be in there. Elon Musk is not in your, your Tesla Model S. Right? But Elon Musk's thoughts, thoughts are in the Model S. But he's not the Model S. You understand that? In the same way, God's thoughts, God's designs are in the universe, but he's not the universe. When people say there is no evidence for God, you have to figure out what do you mean by that? I mean, are you expecting God, God to see God like we see one another? Is that what you're expecting? The way that we know that God exists, though, is through reason. Something that we're losing. Common sense has become all too uncommon in our culture. Through reason. Through the reason of effect to cause. We see an effect now we have to reason back to why, what was the cause of the effect. See, we have a, a creation, so there must be a creator. We have a design, so there must be a designer. We have codes, so there must be a coder. There is code. There is 30 billion, a 30 billion long code in every one of your 40 trillion cells. And we think we're so smart with our computers and our AI. Creation itself testifies to this fact. If, the spa if space, matter, and time had a beginning, which science, science agrees that it did, that space, that matter, and time all had a beginning, if we're all in agreement with that, then what created it has to transcend space, matter, and time. It has to be outside of space, matter, and time. The cause must be spaceless, it must be timeless, it must be immaterial. It also needs to be powerful to create a universe out of nothing. It also has to be personal to choose to create. Think about that. It also has to be intelligent because to create, you have to be a being that is able to make intelligent choices. When you see design, that is an effect of God. 
It's not God directly. It's effect of God. You understand that? All these effects point back to a cause. And we say God is the cause. As I said, you're not going to find God in the universe any more than you're going to find Elon Musk in the trunk of your Tesla. But if God wants to get more of our attention, if God, that this personal being, this personal creator, this 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 God wants to get personal with his creation, he might choose to send someone into time, into space, into matter. He might send someone into the universe in a physical form. Like Jesus. Who is 100% human and 100% divine. God could do that. Because He's the Creator. And when Jesus says, when you see Me, you see the Father. You see the Father's qualities. When you look at Jesus, you are not seeing God the Father. That's not what God, Jesus meant when He said that. Any more than when you look at the universe that you, that you see God. In Jesus, you see the qualities of the Father. Right? You see the qualities. You're not seeing the Father with your physical eyes because He stands outside of space, time, and material. Amen? We're just getting started. In John chapter 18, verse 37, it says, For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? We have just come through an era they called the Enlightenment era, which I believe with all with everything that I've seen, is the Reformation and the Word of God being put into um, the common language of the day caused the Enlightenment era to happen. Um, it, 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 it led to the Modernism era. And the idea of Modernism is this idea that everything can be explained through math and science. All truth can be explained through math and science. And which caused another famous quote, the quote that God is dead. Right? We don't need God anymore. We're smart enough now. We know enough math. We know enough science um, that we've explained away how everything's happened and we no, no longer need that. It's interesting that man's attempt to replace God with creation did not meet man's, humans' deep desire in their souls. We have left now the modernist era, and we are now currently living in an era called postmodern. Postmodern. And the postmodern era is where truth is dead. All other... Um, Attempt to remove. This is just another attempt to remove the need for the intimate fellowship with our Creator and our Father. It's 
people attempt to quench the deep down desire within them to know God. Unfortunately, you don't have to be the sharpest knife in the drawer to see how devastating this worldview is. We, we've, just, we've just seen the ramifications just over the last couple of years and you see how devastating it is to people. And people are going to be destroyed trying to find identity and meaning apart from the one that gives them their identity and meaning. When Harvard College was founded, it it adopted as its motto the Latin word veritas, which means truth. Right? Now, in the same institution, it's the question of whether or not truth exists at all. Have you ever heard someone say piously, like Pilate, nothing is absolutely true. See, God hardwired us to instinctively recognize basic truths. Right? Things that the U.S. Founding Fathers called self-evident. As Christians, we must learn to spot contradictions that are so prevalent in the wisdom of our day. That's one thing that God has given us. It's given us the, he's given us the ability to see contradictions in people, in, in statements and things. And we must spot the contradictions that are so apparent when those are arguing against truth when they say there is no truth. Skeptics inherently assuming that something cannot be true. Our, their statement themselves is saying that it's true. When you say there is no truth, ask them, is that true? Is it true that there is no truth? Do you see the contradiction in that? In their very statement, they were saying that there is truth. That there is no truth. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if it's in college campuses, at work, or God forbid, Forbid in the church, we must contend that truth not only exists, but that it's knowable. By helping people to see the inalienable existence of truth, we can help them and point them to a relationship with the one who is truth. Atheists often give off an air of intellectualism, of superiority. They have evolved past everyone else. But as smart and as innovative as they try to portray themselves, the truth is atheism has been around since the beginning of human history. Humans have always tried, and starting in the Garden of Eden, to push God out of the picture and establish life apart from Him. In all our pride, Humans have spent thousands of years trying to rationalize the Creator out of creation itself. The extreme of this pride can be found in this question. If I can prove to you that Christianity is true, would you become a Christian and serve Jesus 
all the days of your life. Have you ever gotten an argument with, or a discussion with someone that seems to turn into an argument and you're wondering, am I just spinning my wheels with this person? This is how you find out. Ask them, if I could prove to you that Christianity is true, would you become a Christian? If they say, no, I will not. They're not rational. You're not dealing with a rational human being. Their, their choice isn't based on facts. It's not even based on intelligence. It's a heart issue. If you show me that it's true, I will not believe. Most atheist rejections are based on not a perception of God. Many atheists, for example, have been, their rejection is based on their experience with people. They have been spiritually abused or they've met one too many hypocritical Christians that did them wrong and judged them before loving. They decided that if following God looks like that, why would I want any part of it? Others have fatherhood issues because they were raised by a deadbeat or abusive dad, so they have a hard time seeing God as a good God and embracing God as a father. Um, others have embraced a lifestyle and identity and sin with things that God calls sin, so they reject God because they find their identity in something that God says is against His very nature. And all this together is an attempt just to harden their heart um, to the sting of conviction. Whatever the issue is, it's common for atheists to project those problems onto the concept of God, which simply reinforces their belief that He doesn't exist. Understand that disbelief in God takes two forms. Atheism and agnosticism. Atheism says there is no God. While agnostics believes that you can't know for sure if there is a God or not. An atheist completely rules out God. An agnostic perhaps is more open-minded. Um, he only rules out the possibility that you can be certain, have certain knowledge about God. Both are wrong, but I have more respect for an honest agnostic than I do for an avowed atheist. Because to be a true atheist requires not only the rejection of God, but it also is active acceptance of many beliefs that are much more intellectually difficult to believe than in, in, than in the existence of God. To sum that all up, I do not have enough faith to be an atheist. How far does the pride of atheism go? It, it goes to giving themselves God-like attributes. What do I mean? To be an atheist, it requires omniscience. Meaning that you have complete knowledge of everything. To be an atheist, you have to know everything. 
You have to have the complete knowledge of everything. An atheist is making a positive, prideful assertion that there is no God. The only way that anyone can make this assertion would to presume that you know everything about everything. Right? To say that there is, there, there is no God means that you know everything about everything. Otherwise, you would always, there would always be a possible that, possibility that God does in fact exist. But that He is just outside of your knowledge or your ability to know. You understand the pride behind atheism? This atheistic position is the height of arrogance. But atheists tend to disguise their pride with intellectualism. In his book, The Cosmos, renowned evolutionist and atheist Carl Sagan proclaimed, the cosmos is all there is or ever will be. Do you hear the pride in that statement? Again, to rule out even the possibility that God exists above, above and that the, and as a creator of the cosmos would require absolute knowledge on the part of the person making that claim. Atheism is an attempt to make humans gods. Atheism, in their denial of God, cannot help but replace the truly all-knowing God with a cheap imitation of themselves. In James 2.19, it says, You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you! Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. Charles Spurgeon commenting on this Scripture, he said that there are no atheists anywhere except on earth. There is none in heaven, and there are none in hell. Atheism is a strange thing. Even the devils never fell into this vice. For the devils also believe and tremble. And there are some of the devil's children that have gone beyond their own father in sin. But when God's foot crushes them, they will not be able to doubt His existence. When He tears them into pieces, there is none to deliver. Then their empty logic and their bravados will have no avail. Agnostics. Agnostics aren't that different from atheists as their beliefs are also built on contradictory ideas. As with the atheist, who can't truthfully say that God doesn't exist, right? You can't, you can't say that there isn't the possibility of God unless you know everything. If you, you understand that. When someone says that, well, I don't, believe in, I don't believe that there is a God. But there could be a God, right? Well, no. So you know everything? No, I don't know everything. So, so if you don't know everything, there, there is the possibility of a God. Right? An agnostic on their head claims that you can't know for sure whether God exists or not. Right? 
So they understand, they understand that, okay, I don't know everything, but you know, you, how, how can you know if there really is a God? Right? But think about it. By claiming, by claiming that you can't really know anything for sure about God, you've done that very thing. You can't know anything about God. Well, you just told me that there's something that can be known about God. That He can't be known. You understand that? In other words, it's contradictory to say one thing I know about God for sure is that you can't know anything about Him. Yet that's exactly what agnostics say. Talk about being double-minded. Right? See, you think it's just splitting hairs, but it's huge. This is what they're basing their whole worldview on. And the very statement itself is flawed. When dealing with someone that says, okay, I buy into the notion that God exists, but that's all we can know about Him. It's impossible to know anything specific about God. Your response could go something like this. Wait a minute. Listen to what you're saying. Because in your own words, you've already established a couple of things. One, that you can know, you know that He exists. Two, you know something about Him. In saying that, you, can, you, you can't know anything about God. You're claiming to know at least one or two different things about Him, right? It's interesting that agnostic in the Greek is a Greek word. Agnostic is a Greek word. And when it's translated into Latin, you know what it's a word translated in Latin? Ignoramus. That's true. <laughs> in the beginning, God. So what's interesting is that the Bible never addresses whether God exists. Have you ever noticed that? The Bible never tries to prove the existence of God. From the first words in Genesis to the last letters of, Re letters of Revelation, the existence of God is a given. Some might argue... It's the Bible. Of course it wouldn't argue against this since it's the foundational doc document of those that believe that God doesn't exist. That's true. But the same believers understand that God is big enough to handle any question. He, he is capable of dealing with the most extreme doubters who claim He's nothing more than a human concoction or a fairy tale. So what does the Scripture have to say about the doubters? The atheists, the agnostics, who claim that God doesn't exist or can't be known. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. That's what God has to say about people that doubt His existence. Do we need to say it louder for the people in the back? It's foolish not to believe in God. The Bible doesn't even address the atheists, flawed ideas, except to call them 
fool. God exists in both undeniable is God's existence is both undeniable and it's a necessity that God exists. When we we're about to jump into the proofs that demonstrate this truth. The truth that makes atheism look foolish. And these aren't just passionate, emotional appeals to you to believe in some unseen God. This is simple, logic-based reasons to appeal to your common sense because strangely enough, God created us with common sense. Though often we may be fooled by the lies and delusions that culture presents about God, God created us hardwired with the ability, ability to recognize contradictions. We have the ability to spot things that just don't make sense. And that's what we're going to look at right now. How many of you have learned this in junior high science? Every cause or every effect has a cause. Every effect has a cause. How many? An effect without a cause is impossible. Do you understand that? An effect without a cause is impossible. Stated another way, you can't have an outcome or a consequence without having something to cause that result. A universe has to have a source behind it. Even atheists believe that the universe is a massive cause. Evolutionists believe that that cause is from a big bang millions of years ago. Think about this. It just happened out of nowhere. It had happened out of nothing. How is that possible? Oh, it took billions and billions of years. Oh, now I understand it. Does that make sense? Christians credit the source to Almighty God. Either way, both science and scriptures acknowledge that the universe had a beginning. So we're agreeing, right? Science has proven it through such means as the Hubble telescope and the red shift. Scripture simply states it is an understood truth. So truthfully, science had to catch up with Scripture. So the question up for debate isn't whether the universe has an origin. It's who or what promoted it, started it, prompted it from the beginning. Imagine if you were sitting here in this building and everybody was listening to this awesome, inspiring sermon. Suddenly, a brick flies into the middle of the room and it almost hits him. By the grace of God, it did. Right? Would your first question be, I wonder how this brick got here. No, it would be in a highly bothered tone. 
who did this. Right? The brick didn't just smash through the window for no reason. Some agent acted upon it, causing a disturbance in the force, right? That ruined one of the greatest church services that you've ever been to. Right? The point is that the universe couldn't just have arrived without a force behind it. It's impossible that the universe just spat out by an, an inanimate force. No, it took a person, a someone, and that someone is God. God is the great cause. Number two, every creation has a creator. Just as it is impossible for nothing to be created void of a creator, something that's made has to have a maker. Both creationists and evolutionists agree that life didn't just suddenly appear. It was made by something. A big bang or someone, God. The universe is a creation and the earth's life cycle clearly proves that it's a creation. Every design has to have a designer. Watch a hummingbird go from flower to flower. Stare at the, the, the tide as it shifts the ocean and withdraws it from the shores by the lunar pole. Examine a leaf or a flower. Plant a seed. Hold a newborn baby. Our eyes do not have to travel far to find proof that the earth is intricately designed. The world around us is bursting with wonderful and breathtaking design. Do you know what one of the greatest evidences for a creator in design is? Sex. Woo. Yeah, I got your attention now. Everybody perked up. I see you right there. But if you don't have male and female from the beginning, how do you reproduce? Sex is evidence of design. Sex is evidence of a designer. Sex is evidence of God. God says this way. I put fruit-bearing seed in them. That bears after themselves. So what does this apply? It applies that if, if behind the design, there's an ultimate desire, designer. But there's more. The complexity of the earth's design from the mesmerizing patterns of nature to the awesome uniqueness of a DNA strand tells us that this designer is intelligent. You know, we built a home a couple of years, years ago and um, it's just a, it's a ranch, but the design of it is unique. 
it's different than most homes. We have Amazon people stop by and say, I love the design home, home and stuff. And, uh, um, and a lot of them would say, who designed your home? Who designed your home? And uh, I tell them, who designed it? Nobody. And they go, nobody? No! No one designed it. No one built it. It was just here. And we moved in. There's no designer. See, they look at me like I'm strange. But then I tell them, oh, you don't understand. It took billions and billions of years for this house to come together. And then they get, they get it. Oh, that's right. Okay, I understand now. See, the simple thing of building a home, you would never say that it just happened out of nowhere. But the complexity of our planet, when you have the audacity, audacity to say that there is no designer and there is no intelligence behind it and it's all just happenstance. The foolishness is just profound. Likewise, symphonies are breathed through composers. Paintings come from painters. Inventions come from inventors. Each product is uniquely created by the hands of a person. And if we acknowledge that the world consists of incredible and complex designs, how can we not point to the hands of the designer? In Psalms 90 verse 2 it says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Communication requires a communicator. Scientists agree that the universe is constantly communicating to us. And that, not some fuzzy message from aliens. You know, that's not what they're talking about. But a language of code. Such communication can be found in our everyday existence. Just think of the fact that the blueprint for who you are is perfectly coded within the DNA molecules of each of our bodies. Everything that you are is coded within the cells of your body. And each of us are different, with different codes. If you have a software program on your computer, if you're enjoying playing a video game on your Xbox, all that is a bunch of codes put together to create what you're experiencing. In you are codes. There was a coder to create that video game. There was a coder that created you. How can you have information? How can information be being communicated to us unless there's a communicator? And in this case, an intelligent communicator that is delivering this information. You understand that? 
Every law needs a lawgiver. Every law needs a lawgiver. The question, I have a question. Is there any civilization that you know of where murder is a virtue and gratitude is a vice? Any civilization where they applaud murder and you go to jail for gratitude. Sociology shows that there are some things that people everywhere recognize they're universal. Take smiling, for instance. You smile anywhere in the world and it means the exact same thing. Another is the existence of moral law. No matter where you go in the world, people inherently recognize the difference between right and wrong. We are born with a conscience that gives us such a filter. Obviously, we don't always do what is right, but we know what is right. Throughout history, there is a, there's common threads that bind every civilization. Among these com- commonalities are you should not murder, you should not steal, you should not sleep with your neighbor's spouse, and so forth. If you, if you, have, if you flip it to the other side, all cultures esteem telling the truth, being kind, acting selflessly, self, selflessly, and so forth, there are good moral qualities. Isn't that interesting? In every case, from the Phoenicians to the Egyptians to the Greeks to the Romans to the 21st century civilization, humans have shared a vehement reaction against injustice, theft, looting, rape, murder, pillaging, and the like. That they affirm heroism unselfishness, compassion, and self-denial. That's not to say that humans have always done what is morally right, but that all cultures intuitively have always known what is right. In other words, morality isn't just social morals, a, a culture that accidentally, as evolutionaries would, would assert, that it just accidentally happened. But it's in, intrinsic and from some outside source. So there must be an outside lawgiver that writes these laws on our heart. If we all know the law, but don't always live it out to perfection, then this also equates to breaking the law. Right? And if we're honest, we must admit that in breaking laws, we've offended the lawgiver. The moral code then doesn't just point to a lawgiver, it also reveals our need for forgiveness. It reveals our need for a Savior. The truth is, nothing we've covered today proves that the God of the Bible exists. I'll admit to that. 
There's nothing that we shared today that proves that the God of the Bible exists. These truths can only get us so far to knowing the who behind the what. These evidences simply lead to a fuzzy, nebulous supreme being who is responsible for all life. In fact, we could have a good a God like Star Wars, some God, some mysterious force based on the discussion that we had today. Furthermore, fortunately, there's more. We're not left hanging by an unknown God. Quite the opposite, in fact. If there's one thing we can be sure of, as revealed through creation, as revealed through history, as revealed through Jesus Christ in the Bible, is that God is personal. That God is personal. Simply put, if God isn't personal, then He's less developed than we are. God must be at least be personal because He created humans to be personal. <laughs> right? We have a will. We have emotions. We have personality. We have ambition. If God isn't a personal God, then He's not sophisticated as we are. He's not as sophisticated as we are. And we have, in effect, eclipsed God, which can't be true. And that's not rational. So it also means it's safe to say that God because God, in fact, is a causer, a creator, an intelligent designer, a communicator, communicator, a lawgiver, who in each case is above the effect, creation, design, and communication, and law, then He is indeed personable. He, atheists say, that God doesn't exist. We've already proven the flawed rationality behind that statement. Meanwhile, the agnostics say that God may indeed exist, but He can't be known. We've talked about the contradiction that is behind that statement, and we see that God is a personal being. There's more, and there's more to add. And, and here's where it gets good. Not only does God reveal Himself as personal, he, but He also invites us to know about Him. To know who He is. He invites us to know Him. God is re revelatory God. How do we know He's really out there? That He really wants us to know Him and is not dr just tricking us as some kind of mindless robot to do whatever He wants? Simply put, because He has already proven Himself. He has shown us. He, he has and still is revealing himself to the world. How is he doing this? There are four significant ways he shows himself to the world. Two are general and two are specific. First, creation. The universe itself isn't just proof of his existence. It's a snapshot photo of who he is. Romans tells us that, we can, that you can see God in creation. You can have a knowledge of who He 
through creation. Conscience. The basic moral code that's innate in all of us shows us God's standards and it reveals God's character. So those are two general ways that you can know about God and how God wants is revealing himself to you. He's revealing himself generally through creation and he's revealing who he is through your conscience. Scripture. Virtually every page of the Bible paints an up-close and personal portrait of God. Savior. Jesus Christ came as God in the flesh to show us firsthand who God is, unlike anything or anyone else could. So I know that this isn't, this isn't enough to prove to sway the hardcore unbeliever, but I think we're off to a good start. There's enough information here to get you off to a good start. There's enough information to get you at least to admit the possibility that there is a God. Not only is there a possibility that there is a God, there's a, there is a possibility that you can know and He has made Himself known. We have much more to address in the coming weeks. For now, the point is simple. I just wanted to show you that God doesn't have to be viewed as some out there, far off supreme being who can't be described. He is personal, personable. Which means there's more of Him that we can know. We can know more about Him. We can discover more about Him. Not only can, we, can He be searched, He wants to be searched by you. God wants to be searched for. He specifically wants to be searched for by you. This is the first question. Can you know for sure that God exists? All rational thinking points to the answer being yes. Yes, we can know that there is a God and that He exists. And as I said, this God is big enough for all our questions, and He desires, He actually calls to us to come and search Him out. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.